You're listening to Bits of Me, the podcast about women's bodies, all the things we should know about them, and all the stories behind them. This week I talked to Monica Heck, a mother of two who was diagnosed with Graves' disease after having her first child. She shares her story of thyroid dysfunction, a battle against antibodies, suffering a miscarriage under the Eighth Amendment, falling out with her body, and learning to live with an invisible illness. So do you want to tell me when and how it all started to go wrong in the first place? Um, so it was four mo- months postpartum, well, three and a bit months. And I was, um, so I had had my first baby and I was in the postpartum phase. It was going really well. Um, surprisingly, I was really enjoying um, motherhood. I had not anticipated that at all. So it's really oh, right. and I was having a great time. And uh, I just started to feel really, really tired. And it was just getting worse and worse. And it was this exhaustion. And it was an exhaustion I'd never felt before. And my mom actually remembers clearly me telling her that I felt like my legs were like lead. And so she got really worried. My mom was like, that's not normal. And my mom was mm. living abroad. So I was I was um, alone in Ireland with my husband. My family were abroad. Mm. Um, so I didn't really have regular contact with them. So my mom couldn't see me, but she was like, that does not sound good. And then what was happening was that this exhaustion um, was making me sleep all day long. Mm. And so it was a case where I got to a point where my baby was spending so much time just, you know, in her bouncer or in her um, basket. And I was just taking rests and I just assumed it was breastfeeding. I really thought it was normal. Mm. Uh, But, you know, I kind of went, hmm, you know, I'll just have a check with the doctor and ask them if it's normal. I didn't at all think there was anything wrong, really, Mm. which is bizarre when I look back at it now. And mm. so I, um, I I went to the doctor and I said to them, I had literally said the words, I have no idea why I'm here. Yeah. I, I'm sorry. I, I don't know why I'm here. I don't know what I'm looking for, but I kind of feel like this. I just want to check. And then the GP, who was a woman, mm. um, was on the ball immediately. She said to me, oh, no, don't dismiss this. You know, you're very right to come in. Mm. We'll do a full set of bloods. And, you know, she obviously asked other questions, I guess, to rule out postpartum um, depression or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I, I really wasn't a candidate for that. I was I was so lucky that I was doing postpartum really well and that I was really enjoying mm. my time. So, so you were tired, but you weren't out. feeling low or depressed in that way? No, no, it was just physical exhaustion. And that's kind of a crucial thing, I think, that I wanted to bring up about this because once I got my, my results back, I might just circle back to that. What happened after that was the the results came back and very quickly I was called and told to come back immediately that my thyroid results were um, off the scale. It was it was mm. not good. And I was diagnosed with hyperthyroidism at the time because they can't tell until they do further tests mm. if it's an autoimmune or if it's the postpartum hyperthyroiditis, which can happen as well. So hyperthyroidism um, means that you're producing too much uh, thyroid hormone, yeah. Yeah, so your 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 thyroid is overstimulated and it's yeah. yes, it's it's go it's going mad basically. Yeah. So in my case, what had happened without me noticing was I'd I'd I dropped immense amounts of weight. And here was I going around going, Yay, breastfeeding really works for me. Look at me, you know. <laughs> and what was happening was my thyroid was basically boosting my metabolism massively, meaning I was eating like a horse and I was losing weight. And I just thought that was breastfeeding, but it, it really wasn't. It mm. was the metabolism gone gone crazy to a point which was very dangerous actually. Yeah. So the night before my bloods 
Um, I was told to fast from from 8 p.m. So in preparation, because I was always ravenous, I ate a massive plate of potatoes. I still remember this. It was about a kilo of fried potatoes. I was like, that should hold me, right? Yeah. And by about half nine that night, I was starving. And I was like, I have to hold out till 8 a.m. the next morning. Yeah. And I was crying around midnight. I was like, I can't do this. I need to eat. But I did. I just, I held. And yeah, Mm. the next morning did the proper bloods, you know. And Mm. so then... um, so the, the bloods then told me that that was the problem. Um, the, the GP did make a comment at the time, though. She said, yeah, um, graves or hyperthyroidism can often be misdiagnosed. Um, if, the, if the woman comes in and there's other symptoms that might look like postnatal depression, sometimes it, it takes longer. And yeah. it's a fact that I've kind of verified myself on these online groups, because obviously I'm on a ton of online groups. Yeah. And when, when people discuss about how long it takes some women to get a diagnosis, it's, it's scary and mm. shocking because the damage done to their body in the meantime is irreparable. Yeah. So that's a point that I wanted to make is that if, if someone might feel, you know, symptoms that aren't right or you're not sure, insist on a blood test yeah. and don't just accept a kind of a, uh, maybe see what happens maybe it's postpartum depression type discourse mm. you know mm. um my my gp was on the ball but you know mm. i can't vouch that everybody would be like that so. yeah i know you're not so, um okay. a medical professional um no. but i know you, obviously as you say you've been in a lot of these groups and this is something that you've been reading a lot about and i'm just curious yeah. about um i mean you went into the pregnancy fine and you had a baby yeah. and you came out of it and then this developed. Is that like, would it have been triggered by the hormonal fluctuations of pregnancy or do you know? Um, no, I don't know. Mm. Nobody, no doctor has wanted to and can, I, I guess, um, determine and say absolutely that's what triggered it. Okay. The very obvious answer is yes, it's that. So graves often triggers through, it can be a combo of, of many things. It can be emotional shock. It can be um, pregnancy. It can be another disease mm. it's anything that shocks your body okay yeah um, so it can be mental as well um, mm. some people develop it after accidents some people develop it after stressful events in my case I think it was a combination of um, um, just pregnancy my I was predisposed genetically somehow to have an autoimmune weakness around the thyroid and then I pregnancy obviously puts a strain on your body yeah um so I, I guess that didn't help. Then my first delivery was extremely traumatic for many reasons. Mm. Um, I, w- I was very shocked after that. So that's yeah. probably a combination for me. Yeah. yeah. So that's why women probably are more affected than men. Men get Graves' disease as well. But mm. It's predominantly a woman's um, issue. And so, um, yeah, it's probably linked to hormones. Yeah, exactly. Like so now you, you've mentioned Graves. Um, so... The GP saw that your thyroid was oh, out of whack. And yeah, so um, what happened then? They referred you? Yes, yeah, so I was referred to an endocrinologist. And so the first question was, you know, in Ireland, do you have private medical cover? Because if you don't, it'll be about eight months wait on the public system. Now, yeah. that doesn't mean for eight months the patient isn't treated. It just means the GP has to do the treatment. Okay. And, I mean, a GP... It's a lot to ask, perhaps, of a GP because how, do, you know, I'm not saying they're not competent. I'm sure they can keep the person kind of dosed and whatever, but it's mm. not ideal. Mm. When, you're, when you're given a diagnosis, you want to actually see the specialized doctor and fast, right? Yeah. So I was really lucky. I was very thankful that I had this cover. And so I was um, sent to see an endocrinologist that my GP recommended. 
And so two weeks later, um, I went in and the endocrinologist saw me and asked me actually, how did you get here? And I said, oh, we walked. So I pushed the pram from Drumcondra into town, walked mm. around town and then walked back out to the matter. You know, um, yes, clearly you I was on flying form. Um, what was happening was I was flying high on graves craziness, basically, which, yeah. you know, uh, makes you completely hyper. So you're hyper in all sense, right? Mm. Um, so your metabolism goes mad, but also your energy, you're sort of, yeah, it's very hard to explain. You're exhausted, but you also have a lot of, it's it's very strange. Mm. So anyway, I was full of energy. I was walking a lot and stuff. Mm. And the, the endocrinologist told me, uh, you need to take a taxi home. My heart rate was at like 120 at rest. Mm. which to put it in perspective normal people I think around 80 yeah right? exactly yeah so at rest that was 120 which mm. means in an effort I was going dangerously high mm. so my heart was under strain so I was put on medication immediately mm. um which is one of the two options that you mm. have when you're hyperthyroid and they took extra bloods to see could they determine did I have whatever antibodies are you know um, relevant to a Graves diagnosis or was it just postpartum hyperthyroiditis mm. which is a self-limiting condition where the woman gets hyperthyroid um hyperthyroiditis so they go hyperthyroid after their the birth and then okay. the thyroid crashes goes hypo and then it regulates or it stays hypo for life okay right but normally it self-regulates so it's more you know it's more of a it's an easier diagnosis in some way, perhaps. Mm. I don't know. Graves is a lifelong autoimmunity. So I was obviously hoping it was hyperthyroiditis. Of and, course. Um, it wasn't. <laughs> okay. So so they did bloods and noticed that you had antibodies then, there and then. Yeah. yeah. I found that confusing personally. I tried to understand. Um, there seemed to have been a bit of confusion around me. There was talk of it not being clear. Maybe I still, maybe it was hyperthyroiditis. Maybe it was not. I don't know, was it something that I wanted to hear or if it's something mm. that was just not, that isn't really clear, right? In mm. Ireland, I always felt that I was sort of a maybe, maybe not case. Mm. In Switzerland, I was clear cut. I walked in and within about a week, I was like, you're definitely Graves disease. There's no discussion about it. So mm. I don't know. So you were put on the medication and then you, that helped and you felt better or what happened? <sighs> Well, um, yeah, so the medication worked in that it um, brought down, so it doesn't work immediately, mm. you know, obviously your body is, is hyped up, so you're anxious and you have the met metabolism that's going crazy, so you've lost a lot of weight and you're, you're, your heart's been under stress and um, all of those other things that have happened. Some other women, I didn't get that, but they get their eye effect, uh, their eyes are affected, mm. you get bulgy eyes, things like that, so that, when I took the medication, um, all the symptoms calmed over a period of time, mm. over a long period of time. And that's the trick is that um, it takes a couple of months maybe to start seeing, you know, an effect and all of that. But um, long term, your body is, is wrecked from that. Yeah. Because it's like having run a marathon every single day for months. And then, you know, you're just you get this counter um, balance where then you're exhausted and you're just you're wiped out and then yeah. I got the counterbalance where your weight goes nuts I, I had terrible weight problems because um because I'd lost a lot of weight and then on the medication I was still hungry but my metabolism was slowed so I was yeah. eating like a horse but then my metabolism was not dealing with it yeah so I put on weight and so I did a yo-yo of weight loss on the initial diagnosis and the relapse which mm. has been a bit of a problem um but yeah the the the, the medication did um 
get it under control for me. And about a year later um, is when I came off the medication and I was declared in remission. So the thyroid was working on its Mm. own steadily. Am I right in saying that um, it impacted on your breastfeeding journey as well? Yeah, so um, what happened there, I was for five months postpartum on diagnosis and I was put on the maximum dose that they could allow for breastfeeding. Mm. Um, but psychologically, it, um, it, it just was really bad for me. I, I had really I had a hard time accepting it. Mm. I, I was aiming for long-term breastfeeding and all of that. You mm. know, I was part of all the groups and everything. Mm. And then here was I at five months going, I, you know, there's, there's a part of the medication goes through the breast milk. Mm. And so they've determined it's safe at those levels. But psychologically, I did feel like I was poisoning my baby. So mm. I just, um, I started her on bottles. I was very lucky that she took the bottles because the, yeah. the second time around, that didn't happen. So okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so the first time around, she did start taking bottles. So I started weaning her then from five months onto bottles. And so by about mm. eight months, she was off the breast. Mm. Um, which was much shorter than what I'd hoped for. So that was a bit of a um, a disappointment. And that's something mm. I feel Graves' disease did take from me, yeah. Mm. And so then you wanted to get pregnant again? Yeah, so we wanted then? a second child. And of course, um, the minute I got my diagnosis, I knew it wasn't going to be straightforward because um, you have to consider when you have Graves' disease that you have the antibodies so I didn't have them for the first pregnancy that I know of because I wasn't, we don't think, nobody has any assumption that I was hyperthyroid during that pregnancy. I was yeah. perfectly healthy. Yeah. So the antibodies would have started when I got the disease kicked off, right? But they were still there. Um, they, I still had pre- antibodies in my, in my body. So when you get pregnant, the antibodies cross the placenta mm. and they can affect the baby in various manners. Um they attack the, the baby's thyroid. Now, it's not a guarantee. There's a percentage of risk and all of this kind mm. of stuff, right? Um, so it's an extra risk. So um, that's something that, you know, you don't really want to go into pregnancy thinking that. Mm. Um, and you, being you, had you been doing loads of reading as well then yes, prior to yeah, getting I was, pregnant? Or? Yeah, I'd done tons and tons of reading. Mm. So the trick with pregnancy, if you keep your thyroid... So here's where things diverge a little bit for me. In Ireland, um, nobody suggested a, a thyroidectomy, removing your thyroid, right? Which is um, just the act of removing the thyroid means that your body doesn't have anything to attack. So they t- technically, the thoughts is, is that it puts you into remission, you know. Mm. Um, they didn't suggest that. They assumed that my my remission would hold. Mm. So I, I got into remission using the tablets. Mm. So they um, they assumed it would hold, which it did. So um, mm. I tried to get pregnant again. And then we had a little mishap around medication. And that was another thing that I felt a little bit at sea with. You know, as a patient, you go in to see a doctor and you expect the doctor to um, be your ally and lead maybe the discussion you're in in distress you're in physical distress and you're mm. in mental distress because you you know you have an, an illness it's not a straightforward illness and you're desperate to get some normality you want your baby all this kind of thing mm. so um there's they, they normally switch you from neomercazole to um ptu yeah now, if you do reading around both of those <laughs> medications, they're scary and PTU is particularly scary because one of the side effects is potential immediate um, destruction of your liver. 
Okay. You know, and a certain percentage of cases. And that's not, you don't want to read that on your medication. No, no. You know? has also liver impact. It impacted my liver, but not, not in the same, um, they call it fulminant. It's like, an, it's an, like this from one day to the next, your mm. liver is damaged, right? So um, I was very reluctant to go on PTU. Um, I asked the endocrinologist and they said, look, try PTU and see um, if you get a sore throat or something like that. It can be a sign there's a problem. We'll take your bike off and we'll put you on the other one again. Mm. And so I did start PTU. And unfortunately, three days later, I got a sore throat, which turned out to be strep, right? I just okay. I flew on holidays, got strep. And out of an excess of caution, both me and the endocrinologist agreed that maybe we were going to come off PTU mm. and come back on the neomarkazole. Mm. And I had specifically asked, like there was no query about me wanting to get pregnant again so um there was no confusion about that Mm. and I did ask can I get pregnant on neomarkazole and was given the answer yes it's not ideal and there's a risk of some birth defects but the birth defects are physical and they're quite they seemed to be self-contained they didn't seem to be massive defects and they were not intellectual defects or anything like that so we figured that the risk was probably... Uh, the risk of not treating Graves is greater than the risk of taking a medication during the pregnancy. Yeah. So I kind of assumed, and I was left on the assumption, that it was okay to get pregnant on this medication. So off we went. I mean, I that must have pregnant. been fa- fairly... Not scary, but I mean, trying to weigh up all those different considerations. Oh, I, my and... head was melted. Yeah, my head was melted and I it was just it never stopped every day all day long it's in your head what are we doing should we do this should we not do this but you know when you want your second child you do anything for it and with time ticking on and my health being the way it was I was like we have to do this I just got Mm. obsessive about it Mm. really Mm. yeah you know and maybe I should have been talked down I don't know but like the fact is I really wanted that child and I asked the questions about the meds and I got the answers that I thought were fine so we went ahead and and did it and Mm. then I got pregnant and then when I went back to confirm things um, with the endocrinologists I got the shock of my life because I was basically informed at that point that I'd conceived on medication that was not safe and that um, it was my own decision when I asked yeah. questions, I went and I just said, look, I'm pregnant now, so let's go back over these risks of defects. Yeah. I just want to make sure that we're ready. I'd read there was one where the child might not be able to breathe properly and they need to like just be aware of that at birth. I just was like, will they be aware of that at mm. birth and stuff? And I got, yeah, I, I got an answer that just left me out in the cold. It was like, mm. your decision, so you're basically responsible for this, which is a terrible shock. Yeah. You know, I left there in absolute shock. I don't think I spoke for about two hours I was with a friend and we went walking in town and I don't think I could speak I think I was literally mute for about two hours going okay I basically I've messed up you know Mm. um and then we discovered that pregnancy wasn't viable which was very likely not linked to the medication we don't know we'll never know I don't believe it was it was just one of those things that happens we just Mm. discovered it was not going to progress but it turns out that at that point in time with the um, Eighth Amendment and all of that, that had not yet been repealed, I was faced with a situation where I had to wait for the pregnancy to basically end itself, which was horrifically traumatic on top yeah. of all the other stuff. Yeah. So, so what um, happened? How did you realize that the pregnancy wasn't viable? Oh, I went for an early scan and she just told me, look, there's a heartbeat, but it's too low for what it should be. Mm. Um 
And um, when I went to the EPU in the rotunda, they just discovered it had likely been a twin pregnancy where one of okay. the embryos had just not made it past five or six weeks. And the second one was still there around seven weeks, but mm. um, was never going to survive. I mean, the, the heart, when I Googled it, the heart rate was so low, it, there was a 0% chance of that being viable. Mm. So I was like, right, well, can we terminate, please? And of course, mm. what happened is um, the doctor brought two witnesses into the room because they were freaked mm. out because I was demanding an abortion, basically. Yeah. Of course I was. Of an unviable pregnancy. To, you know, yeah, exactly. Who wants to be carrying an unviable... And I said to them, well, I, I, I'm risking my life here. If this... I have one dead embryo and a dying embryo, what happens if I, I get a, an infection? Mm-hmm. All I could think about was my first child. I was like, uh, this is not worth me dying over. You know, we can what have more babies, bluntly, you know. Um, 2016. End of so 2016. were you aware of the implications of the Eighth Amendment at the time? Oh, yeah, I deliberately asked for the abortion in public, like vocally. Yeah, I did. Mm. I wanted to see their faces. Because this was post Savita and everything, obviously. Oh, yeah. I was like, here you go. Now Now you have one on your hands. What are you going to do with this? Obviously, Mm. witnesses in the room. And every single time I went then for scans after that, there were witnesses in the room. And I don't know, maybe that's common. I don't know if it's common or not. It just Mm. felt a little, oh, there's going to be this student in the room with me and stuff. Mm. It all felt a little kind of um, forced. You know. And how long did it take in the end? Uh, three weeks. Um, God. The, eventually the consultant who was scanning me said, oh yeah, there's no more heartbeat. And she'd already pre-booked me, thankfully, for a termination. Or um, DNC, sorry. Mm. Oh yeah, because we ex- we examined a termination. This is non-thyroid related, by the mm. way. This mm. is all just yeah. on top of, of the thyroid. Just but having a We'd wound. examined... Yeah, we just, um, we examined a termination um, and I called, um, I think it was Marie Stopes in the UK because we were like, okay, we got, we got to stop this because my, my mental health was already under strain with the graves mm. and I, I just, I couldn't handle it. I was just, imagine how, I don't know, some women find comfort in sort of carrying the baby until the last moment. I mm. was in bits. I just could. I was like having an alien and I wanted to take it out with my bare hands. It was just, ugh. Mm. repulsion it was absolutely repulsion I wanted it out Mm. so I didn't feel that way about the pregnancy at all you know which might be shocking to some women but that's the fact for me it's just the way it is so I wanted it gone so Marie Stope said to me well yes we can take you but if you travel um, and you get to us and there's no more heartbeat we have to send you back because we don't do DNCs we only do abortions so I was like between a rock and a hard place because we yeah. didn't know how long this was going to take it could take I, I was reading online it could take to the second trimester so I was like what do mm. I do and it was going to cost us over a grand which is a lot of money in Ireland mm. like mm. and you'd have to get someone to mind the my, my eldest child you know yeah. um, I didn't want to go without my husband yeah it was a bit of a nightmare so yeah thank you eight amendment that was mm. great so you can think you can believe I was glad when it was repealed <laughs> yeah exactly yeah so um so then um you'd been booked in for a dnc in the end anyway yeah yeah so they they did the dnc and then i was told um at that time i was um i was kind of weaned off the the thyroid meds the neomercazole mm. and so we just um at that point in time I, I changed um endocrinologists because clearly after the miscommunications of the summer uh, i felt the relationship was compromised yeah um and so I went to see a new endocrinologist who then we decided to just see over the course of Christmas would my thyroid hold up 
Because mm. obviously the the loss of that pregnancy was putting my um, my remission in jeopardy, right? If my thyroid problem is linked to pregnancy, you don't of really course. want to be getting involved in a non-viable pregnancy, which might then trigger mm. your graves again and all of that. So I was very lucky my, um, my remission um, held out. Mm. And so I had a chemical pregnancy um, in February. And then in the March, I, I managed to get pregnant with my second child. Mm. And that pregnancy went really well in terms of thyroid how did you feel during the pregnancy awful it was the worst pregnancy my first pregnancy was great because I really enjoyed being pregnant and my second pregnancy was basically a countdown to November it was like get this child here get this child over the line I didn't because of worry of it worry I was so anxious the whole thing was an anxious nightmare yeah yeah due to graves mostly Mm. and also to what had happened before I think when you have a miscarriage it kind of taints your um you know, your vision of what your body can do and all of mm. that. And so throughout um, that pregnancy, you were seeing an endocr- endocrinologist or... I was, yeah. Yeah, yeah I was. was that and like? it was very well followed. Um, it was um, it was great. I mean, the new endocrinologist, um, it, we had a great relationship and uh, mm. there was a lot of trust there. And um, my body, thankfully, just did what it was supposed to do. Um, so I didn't have any, any issues. However... Um, I did ask about antibodies and I was told there's nothing you can do about them so there's no point in checking them. However, I did tick the box on a couple of forums to check for myself so I'd have that information and it turns out that I did have my antibodies. Um, They were present and they were climbing and so Mm. I actually had to check online. I found a specialist online and I checked in with her and she told me that that should be okay even though they were high enough, they were not sky high and Mm. this kind of stuff. So I had that worry in the back of my mind that I did have antibodies and they could be crossing the placenta. Mm. And so this is the bit where I am a little bit, um, I'm frustrated with Ireland because I feel like they're not on the ball when it comes to um, checking women with Graves' disease during pregnancy. Mm. Um, in Switzerland, where I now live, I've been informed very clearly that if I have another pregnancy, even though now I have no thyroid, so technically I have zero antibodies, they've confirmed that, mm. my fetus will be getting cha- um, scanned every month at a special scan clinic, a, speci- a specialist thyroid fetal medicine mm. doctor is going to be um, checking my, my baby the whole way through. Mm. And so there'll be no kind of, we'll know pre, you know, before the birth if the baby has a thyroid condition brought mm. on by the antibodies. And in Ireland, I was told, no, it's grand. And in fact, I asked in various places, including the uh, maternity hospitals, and I was just never got an answer. It was like, no, should be grand. I, it just didn't feature. It mm. wasn't even that people were saying yes or no. It just didn't seem to feature at all. It has to feature because it's important. Mm. Um, again, my little girl was born very healthy and mm. I'm so lucky. But nobody checked her. She hasn't had a thyroid check, mm. you know. We're getting her, her thyroid done now at her three-year check because yeah. that's just going to be part of it. The pediatrician agrees we should just make sure to tick that box. Yeah. But she shouldn't, we should have known before her birth if there was something up and we should have been checking this. And quite frankly, I should have been asked if I wanted to take the risk of antibodies during a pregnancy, meaning that a thyroidectomy should really have been on the table. That's my layperson's opinion, Mm. right? I'm not a doctor and I'm Mm. sure endocrinologists around the place have all sorts of opinions about that. But based on my own experience, I would have liked to have been given full facts and to be told, actually... This is also an option. option, I didn't even know it was an option. Mm. Like, 
you know, when I was saying I want a second child, I wasn't told, hold your horses. Here yeah. are the things that you have to consider with the antibodies. Yeah. So. So she came along and she was fine as far as you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. And is yeah. that when you had um, a relapse or what, when did that happen? Yeah. So um, they checked me at six weeks. They were like, we will know if you're relapsing six weeks postpartum. But in fact, at six weeks postpartum, I was perfect. And I was like, yay, mm. I'm not relapsing. And um, again, exactly four months postpartum, exactly four months. Wow. Um, I started feeling and this time it came on fast and furious. It came on differently the second time. It was more violent, I think. Um, mm. Within a week, I started feeling anxious and tremors and my 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 heart was going mad and I started looking gaunt yeah I started seeing the weight loss and I was like oh it's back so immediately rang my endocrinologist they did the tests very quickly and we medicated very quickly they were super responsive so Mm. you know um but I was very sick that time around I felt worse I think Mm. on the relapse than I did on the initial diagnosis and when Um, did um Switzerland come into the picture that was around that time as well um, yeah, so after my second child was born, my husband came home triumphantly declaring he'd gotten the job of his life. And it was, you know, in Switzerland, <laughs> <Uh-oh>. <laughs> even though I'd been, I'd left Switzerland 20 years before and um, we'd committed to buying a house and living in, in Dublin for the rest of our lives. We'd only mm. just like we'd had the house a year and a half or whatever. Um, and I'd only just given birth to a baby. So you can imagine the reception that got. I was like, you must be kidding. No woman with a very small baby in the first, in the fourth trimester wants to be informed they're, they're making an international mm. move. I didn't anyway. And, you know, maybe the stress of that contributed to the relapse as well. But I think that the four month postpartum on both triggers, it's not a coincidence. So it must be, mm. for me, it's, it must be linked to pregnancy. I think it's just the post pregnancy hormone Mm. shift that triggers me but it's interesting because Um, when you're talking about the various different things that uh, medical professionals and doctors have told you and you're comparing what you've been told in Switzerland and what you've been told in Dublin and the different treatment you've received um, yes I mean it's interesting to think that if you hadn't moved where would you be now do you know what I mean I actually genuinely feel my health has been saved by the move and it was not part of the picture initially when we decided to move I was very reluctant I didn't want to leave Ireland I was Mm. very happy in Ireland and I'm still homesick Mm. you know but we've both sat down and and, and our massive our biggest barrier to returning is the health system we Mm. we cannot in any way shape or form um I went through a very traumatic um night in Temple Street with my my second daughter when she was 16 days old and it was that cemented the fact to me that I I loved Ireland with all my might but when he came home with that contract and I was like I don't want to leave but I could never do that again with mm. the health system I was like we've got to go we've got to go somewhere where you know the health system isn't on its knees mm-hmm. so ultimately for me the decision was made for health reasons Mm. But without knowing that it would actually probably save my my body in a way, because yeah. um, when I came to Switzerland, um, yeah, they have a different approach on the endocrinology front. Um, the, the endocrinologist was very clear here and said to me, if you ever want other children, I had wanted a big family. Um, mm. I currently have two. I had envisaged three or four. Um, obviously, having a disease like Graves completely throws those plans. But mm. um 
If we want a third, she made it very clear to me that she would strongly recommend not doing this on the medication and mm. that she would strongly recommend a thyroidectomy because mm. the, she said those, those pregnancies are just too fraught with risks. Mm. And I completely agree. I just didn't have all the cards in hand the second yeah. time around, right? Yeah. So she was very clear about that and she laid out the plan for the fetus, you know, and all of this stuff, if how they manage a Graves pregnancy. Yeah. Um, and the other thing that happened is when I went to see the GP um, to get access to all, this is how it works here. You go to a GP and they kind of refer you to all these specialists. Is it a single um, tier kind of public system or is it two tier like here? The tiers, you mean tiers like um, in, public do, and... Yeah, do you need health insu- um, private health in- insurance in Switzerland? It's an... It's obligatory. Nobody can live in Switzerland without private health yeah, insurance. Okay, yeah. And it costs an arm and a leg. And that system okay. has its own issues that I won't even get into. It's yeah. a very, very difficult. It's a massive cost. To put it in perspective, we pay maybe 20% of our of our income monthly goes to health insurance here. It's insane. Insane wow. amounts. But, okay. the, but the service you get to be for good. it, though. <laughs> well, yeah. And that's where, that's where it comes into play. So... I saw the GP who listened to my heart just as a hello, welcome, I'm, you know, your new patient. So she Mm. did it once over. She listened to my heart and says to me, you've got a murmur. And I said to her, I don't have a murmur. I'm fine. Mm. And she was like, no, you have a murmur. And she booked me and I saw a cardiologist a week later. Mm. You know, just let's put this in perspective. How long would it have taken in Dublin, you know? Um, And so uh, the cardiologist um, discovered that I had... um, a tricuspid valve leak, significant is, actually. Um, so your tricuspid valve has a weakness, meaning it's not closing properly. So blood is coming out and in again. Mm. Um, and I had pulmonary hypertension, which means the pulmonary artery is was hardened in my case, meaning that there was more pressure put on the heart. So okay. it was it was basically putting strain on my heart. Um, and those are things that I. I mean, look, I I don't have a crystal ball. I can't say who would have discovered what, but I'm very, very sure that that would not have been discovered had I stayed in Dublin and had I gotten Mm. pregnant a third time. Mm. I would have gone ahead and had a third kid with a defective heart or something. Yeah, you don't really want to think about it too too I don't really want you. to think yeah. about it too much, no. Um, but like I, I, you know, this was like a, a new discovery for me. So I yeah. asked the endocrinologist, "What's this?" And then she, I said, "Is this antibodies related?" And of course, you know, the doctors they don't. Graves' disease is a bit misunderstood still. It's still a bit mysterious in in how it affects. You know, there's an official line as to what it does, and then there's all the other things that it does that you mm. hear about on forums and that are not official right and so when yeah. I asked look is this this has got to be a side effect of grave disease I was healthy until five minutes ago what's going on mm. here and um, she did actually send the query to a team working on antibodies and thyroid here in um, in Lausanne and mm. they confirmed that there is sometimes a link now I'd already found those papers myself by googling right <laughs> so I knew that this existed I knew there was a link yeah. to the graves um antibodies and um the heart mm. and the tricuspid valve and mm. the pulmonary hypertension. They're not sure how it happens. It seems to be a weird case where um, the cells in the in the pulmonary artery tend to be irritated in the same way, perhaps, that the cells in the eyes get irritated for women who get thyroid eye disease, which I am so blessed that thankfully touch wood right now I don't have. Yeah. Because that would have tipped me over the edge with yeah. the amount of damage it's done to me. With that on top of it, I, I mm. couldn't have handled it. Mm. And that's something that 
women have to be aware of as well. Thyroid eye disease, very important. The minute I was seen here, so in Ireland, I asked about the thyroid eye disease and so they just looked at my eyes. I went, now nah, you look grand, you'd be grand. Um, <laughs> well, you know, I don't, you know, I, I, I know I sound flippant, but I was like, okay, cool. Here they sent me to an ophthalmologist and I've had two tests in the last three yeah. years and they're deep tests with measurements of all my, they've measured mm. my eyeballs and everything to make sure and they have ruled it out. So, mm. you know, it's just a different level of, of, of service, I guess. Maybe. Yeah. So you you went ahead and had a thyroidectomy eventually. Um, what was it that? I did. How did you make up your mind about that? Um, it was the heart disease. My heart was preventing me. Like I I went to London on a weekend and I, I couldn't walk. I mean, here was I, thirty eight years of age, and I just I was I couldn't walk. I was out of breath, and I was like an old woman. Before I, I was the weekend or so before I got my diagnosis of heart disease. And I remember being so like down on myself because I was like, you're overweight, you're, you've let yourself go. I was being really harsh about mm. myself in my own head. And I was really angry with my own self. And I was like, what have you become? You can't even mm. walk. And then a couple of weeks later, I'm informed, actually, your heart is banjaxed. And I was like, right, mm. this has to stop. You know, mm. if if it is the antibodies, They'll go down with the medication, but they won't disappear totally, perhaps, or whatever it is. And I wanted a third child, perhaps. I had mm. that on the on my mind. Mm. And I, I was weighing things up, going, right, so you could live with your own organ, which is what I wanted, because a thyroidectomy means you're you're dependent on the pharmaceutical industry for the rest of your life, yeah. right? If the world crashes and nobody produces my medication anymore, I'm dead within about two to three months. And it's a pretty horrible death. And, you know, it's gruesome and I've read about it. And, you know, I had to be sure I knew about this before I did it. Mm. Right. And that was that probably is why I didn't go for it at the beginning when they told me you should have it. I was like, nope. I'm keeping mm. my thyroid, thank you. Yeah. And then after all of those things came to light, that the antibodies were really vicious, that I was reading up about how else they could damage you. There's other ways they can be very insidious and damage you. And I was like, I can't do this. You know, mm. um, even if I don't have a third child, I can have a relapse, I don't know, uh, in five years, in 10 years. Um, there's no telling. You, your body can just decide to relapse any time. Mm. What if I lose my parents and then I have a relapse or something, anything like that. Mm. So it wasn't just a case of, well, don't have a third child. It wasn't that. So I was like, look, I can't yeah. risk this anymore. I have enough damage now to my body to justify that I, I have to stop this. Mm. So yeah, so I called the endocrinologist in September. I said, I want a thyroidectomy. That was last year. And within, well, I got my date for the thyroidectomy on the 4th of December. So uh, hmm. that was that. And tell me about waking up post-op. Oh yeah, so <laughs> that was the strangest experience. Um, I woke up in the in the recovery room and um, even though I was I was dosed up, clearly, you know, hmm. you're, when you wake up, it's kind of like, oh, what a great sleep. And then you're like, <laughs> what is going on? <laughs> is that a pink elephant um so it's all a bit weird but I knew I looked at the time and I just remember thinking oh it was like this weight had been taken off me mm. I felt like my, my my brain was clear for the first time I just felt like myself again and I realized that um myself had disappeared within this flurry of thyroid craziness over the last few years I had lost complete touch with with who I was and my brain was somehow swamped with I don't know what kind of 
hormones or mm. antibodies. I don't know. I can't explain it. It feels like they removed a diseased part of me. And when I asked about the thyroid, they obviously they look at it to make sure there's no cancerous nodules or whatever. Mm. And um, the surgeon said, oh, no, it was classic graves. And it was apparently um, like a, a bee's nest. It was basically it was self-destroying. Yeah. So look, you know, mm. better out than in, in my case. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So what are the main ways in which uh, graves has changed you and changed your life or impacted on your life? Well, I mean, it's it's been traumatic from a physical point of view. I mean, it's taken my own relationship with my body because you don't you end up not trusting your body anymore. The thyroid mm-hmm. is like a tiny gland you don't even know about. Like before graves, I'd kind of just knew vague. I don't. I'm not even sure I could have told you where the thyroid was exactly. Yeah. Right. Um, and then after graves, it was like it it affects everything. So your metabolism and your 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 brain gets foggy. So the weight, right? The weight was the worst for me. You mm. put on weight, you lose it. You can't lose it. On the medication, the weight wouldn't go. Mm. I just couldn't lose it. And I just, it was horrible. I've never been that desperate in my life. I didn't look like mm. me at all. Mm. I lost my hair. My hair was my pride and joy um, for my whole life. Mm. I loved my hair. It was beautiful, thick, long. I loved my hair and I mm. had to, t- I cut it off. I had short hair then for two years, which was fine, but it wasn't me again. I just, you know, you just, mm. it's very hard to kind of reconcile the image um, that you had before your energy levels. Um, so it's a normal process I've asked and it's, it can take years because your body's gone through something. It's like it's accelerated really yeah. quickly with no warning and no training. And so then you're, you know, you just, it, it takes you ages to recover, ages. I mean, I'm still yeah. at a point where if I have a heavy day on a Monday with the girls on the Tuesday, we have to have a rest day because I cannot do two, two big days in a row. So the thoughts mm. of, I used to commute. I mean, when I think back to at one point, I didn't have a car. I used to have to commute. I'd have to walk 30 minutes and then take a bus. I mean, every day. And I was doing a, you know, a nine to five and, and mm. then I was going out and all this stuff. It would be impossible for me to do that right mm. now. And I don't know, will it ever be possible again? Because now I'm, you know, old age, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm getting on in years. <laughs> I'm no longer 20, but I'm also carrying this kind of exhaustion. I've accepted now that I'm on the spoons theory thing. I've had to just yeah. do that. But it's hard because people around you, they don't see it, right? It's an invisible disease. Mm. You can tell them, but they don't see it. Mm-hmm. So when you're saying, I don't have the spoons for that, they kind of look at you sometimes and go, oh, here you are. You're just being, you're just looking for notice. Do you know? Mm. It's a bit like you're kind of trying to make yourself interesting or important or whatever it is. Yeah. I don't think people grasp how debilitating that whole thing is, where mm. you're just exhausted and broken and your brain is malfunctioning. And I got clumsy as well and stuff. And, you know, you'll tell the doctor that the doctor's going to go, that's not that's not Graves' disease. There's no mm. official link. I was super clumsy. I'm better now. But it, it mm. got to a point where I was dropping stuff. I destroyed a phone. I couldn't handle the phone. It kept falling out of my hands. My, my husband was yeah. like, what is wrong with you? Do you know? Mm. Um, so, yeah, I put a strain on the relationship there because my husband, um, he couldn't deal, I think, because he couldn't see. All he could see was his wife, you know, angry because you get angry and, 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 and anxious. Oh God, the anxiety as well. That's another mm. thing. You get really anxious because the whole, I don't know, you just, you get, it revs you up. Yeah. You know, it yeah. winds you up. And I'm anxious at the best of times. So it just went through the roof. 
So I got a lot of anxiety around like my children dying and all this kind of stuff. There was all sorts of crazy mm. kind of. So having a, a partner who's never been sick doesn't help because they just don't get it right. They're just like, mm. you know, get mm. over it or not really, but yeah, a little bit, you know, mm. sort of can we move on now? And you're just like, I'm trying to. <laughs> yeah so does the energy levels does the invisible nature of it which means that it's not really taken seriously no matter how people want to it's just i'm sure most other sufferers of an autoimmune condition have the same problem mm. you know it's like they can tell you how it is so they're telling people and people are just it's going in one ear and out the other because i think until you've really and you know what i would have been the same before probably yeah but until you've really experienced this my body cannot do this anymore it's very hard to understand it and it just feels a bit like you like having a moan you know yeah I guess I still wish that endocrinologists and and doctors linked to endocrinology would um, take seriously um, the side effects the extra side effects that might not already be documented I mean only Mm. today I was reading up because you know I read up all the time you know and I was just reading that um, apparently affects your cholesterol levels which in turn Mm affects your vitamin d absorption or something literally yeah. i don't i can't tell you more than that because i haven't read more and i'm like right nobody's checked my cholesterol since yeah. my thyroidectomy so that's something i'm gonna have to chase the endocrinologist about now and i don't know what they're gonna say I, they might not even know about it they may know about it i don't know mm. but it's always it's always coming from patient i find it's very patient driven mm. and that if you don't take control of your own disease and you're not like deep down delving into it you're gonna not get answers and maybe some people don't want answers but like I need to know so um it just would be nice if if um they listened and they didn't just go oh well it's not definitely not graves oh that couldn't be graves oh no that's not officially graves well it Mm. could well be do you remember we were talking about urinary incontinence yeah a bunch of people who had graves have had a urinary incontinence and it's looking like it could be linked to muscle uh, mass deterioration because when your graves disease is active it yeah. eats your muscles it ends up eating them because oh, yeah. it's gone through fat it starts eating the muscles mm. so your bladder the muscles in your bladder get weakened and so it could well explain why i suffered a decent amount from incontinence mm. you know which we we did discuss on a different level once. Um, yeah. Uh, I, again, I don't have an official diagnosis. I may never have that. But it's interesting yeah. to note that that is something that has come up on forums that mm. other people have experienced. And then when I bring it up in the medical sphere, it's like, no, never heard of that. Possibly not. Mm. And it's just so. Do you find that it's easier for you to spend time and energy trying to kind of stay on top of things and read up on things and research things yourself than to sit and and wait and potentially not know about these potential risks that might be out there or because it sounds Um, exhausting as well it is uh since the thyroidectomy i've done a lot less because i feel safer because you know my antibodies are at zero now and it's more a question of keeping my body ticking over on the right dose Mm. Um, there are still questions in arrears, such as the incontinence, um, mm. you know, also trying to get an answer as to if I have a third pregnancy, do I risk my antibodies coming back? There's no clear no. It's like mm. very unlikely, but that's not no. So, okay. Yeah. Um, do I risk having thyroid eye disease? Could that mm. trigger thyroid eye disease because I don't have a thyroid anymore? Nobody knows. 
And you were diagnosed with PTSD not too long ago as well, am I right? Yeah, yeah. So my my I went to see a counselor. So counseling is is really important. You know, that's a message mm. I'd like to put out there. Mm. Along with have your bloods taken anytime you feel sick. Don't take anyone's word for anything. Have yeah. bloods done. Make sure they check everything. Right. Mm. Um, counseling is really important. I went to do a lot of talk counseling with various people, and um, it, it's helpful. You know, it mm. helps you kind of take stock of what things are and really kind of get a grasp on the situation, which is you have to accept, you know, that things have changed and th- you're no longer mm. the same person and mm. that you're now a different person, just as good. And, you know, mm. this is the things you can do and these are the things you have to do a different way. Mm. But, um, yeah, I did have a series of, uh, of incidents recently linked to my health, which have triggered um, anxiety that was above and beyond what is considered normal um especially linked to covid right you know um yeah because you have to understand and that's something again that i'm getting no understanding from especially here with the authorities linked to school uh, which has informed our decision to homeschool by the way which is another Mm. branch of this they don't understand that you know are you at risk are you in the risk categories well uh, my heart has resolved somewhat so mm. I'm officially no longer at risk on paper mm. but having gone through five years of what I've just described the thought of yeah. getting COVID and potentially having long COVID long COVID sounds a lot like Graves' disease thanks very much I don't want that again yeah um so that has triggered it did trigger excessive anxiety again over the summer so my I, I described what was going on to my counselor and um and that person said that um it it, it was very clearly a P- PTSD response and I mm. think the PTSD is possibly a combination of traumatic births um the disease in itself and its consequences um mm. and so now I have that and those words were pronounced and suddenly I just relaxed and I went okay it makes sense and it felt like someone had heard and actually the, the struggles that I was going through and have been going through are just acknowledged. That's all I needed, you know. That was Monica Heck on Bits of Me. You'll find Bits of Me on Instagram as Bits of Me underscore podcast and on Twitter as Bits of Me underscore pod. Sharing, subscribing, rating and reviewing helps a lot, as does listening, so thanks for doing that.